0: I want to greet Pastor Andrew and Pastor Simone. Thank you for inviting me here. Pastor Cindy, thank you for arranging it. And um, I want to thank the congregation for everything that you guys are doing for mission. I heard that you have been busy with revival services this week. And that is wonderful. And I can see, I can just sense the spirit of God in this place can sense the openness of the people. The altar is open at any time. It's not, you know, designated time. So in some churches, the altar is not open. And so I can just see that God has been doing wonderful things in this church. And so I praise God for that. However, the real test of revival is actions, right? It is how we live our lives. What do we do after we've been stirred in Christ? It's more than just an emotional response. It's more than just an agreement while I'm in church, and when I go out and I'm confronted with, okay, we had this agreement, what are you going to do about it? And I back off. Um, Sister Mary spoke earlier about my testimony, and as she said, I am a result of missions. I grew up in a township in South Africa during the apartheid era I was born. I was about 19 years old when Nelson Mandela came out of jail. So I can tell you some stories about South Africa. Um, And so I lived in a township in Soweto. Some of you might know about Soweto. That's where Nelson Mandela lived, and Desmond Tutu as well. And so it was a township ridden with drugs, alcohol, domestic violence, And all sorts of things, hopelessness, loss of human dignity, the type of stuff you will find in such dire human circumstances. And my family was not um, excluded from all the wonderfulness of township life. We, We had it all in our family. And so you could say that I was sort of put on a path that was not good. But God, long before I was born, in his prevenient grace, reached out to my grandmother and saved her soul so that I can stand here today. My grandmother will say to you herself that she was a professed party animal. She was at every dance. She was a mother. She had children, but she would go to every dance that was available until God came and did something in her life. One day, a son who was only about one year old got really sick, and she called the doctor. Those were the days when doctors actually made house calls. And the doctor came, and he said to her, you know what, I am sorry. This child has no hope. The child is going to die. I'm leaving, but when I come back, I will come back with a death certificate for your child. My grandmother was desperate. She didn't know what to do. She, she, was, she wanted help for a baby. So she ran down to the Nazarene Church in Albertsville, Johannesburg, where the Reverend Stake Leader was leading a Wednesday night prayer meeting. She didn't even care that people were in church. She ran up to the altar and she begged the reverend stake leader, who was a missionary in the church of the Nazarene at that time, to come to her house and to pray for her son. He left his congregation and went to her house. And when he got there, before he prayed for her son, he said, you're going to have to accept Jesus as your personal savior. And now, what would a mother do if her son was dying, right? So, like, yes, I accept Jesus. Come in my heart. Jesus, I love you. (laughs) Pray, pray now, pastor. And then uh, the pastor prayed for her son, and the reverend left. And it was not long after the reverend left that the baby sat up and began to cry for food. And this was wonderful for my grandmother. She realized that God is real and he's powerful and he can save souls. And that was when she truly and completely gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And she's what I call a holiness warrior. You know, her sons, her children did not accept Christ. They didn't walk in the way. But she forced us as uh, grandchildren to be in the church. And we had to wear the long skirts, and we couldn't wear earrings, and we couldn't wear makeup because we were Margie Ferris's grandchildren. But, you know, it was wonderful because through that, through the mission of the Church of the Nazarene, God came and saved and redeemed my life. God came and gave me a chance And the mission of the church didn't just stop there with my grandma with my grandmother, but because we had such difficult circumstances at home, the church continued through the ministry of NCM, through you know, I got clothes at church, I got food at church, I was able to go to camp at church. And when I decided to go to Bible school, it was the church that came alongside and helped me to have some money to be able to just pay my registration fees. And as I was in Bible school, I couldn't afford my registration fees. And so I remember once I was sent home and they said, you didn't pay your fees, you need to go home. And I was devastated. I felt like, God, you told me to come here. You told me that you are calling me into the ministry. You want me to do your work. And now I'm being sent home because of money. But it wasn't long after that that God used the volunteers that were serving at NTC God used the missionaries that were there, and they actually paid my, my school fees. And God didn't give me one lump sum at once. But on a, on a regular basis, I would say, oh, God, what's happening? I'm going home. And God would send another volunteer. Oh, God, what's happening? I'm going home. And so it started the journey of faith in my life. But I knew that I was in a, a church that loved and accepted me, and it was a global church that was taking care of me. And so I want to just thank everybody here today for what you do. It's not in vain. It helps. I, uh, I was, we were at the theology conference, and they were speaking about all the mistakes that were made in missions. And, you know, uh, how we didn't teach people to fish. We just gave them fish and all of those types of things. And I stood up and I said, you know what? I'm going to speak from the perspective of the person who received the fish. When you get up in the morning and you don't have food to go before you go to school and you come out of school and you're still hungry and then you can go to the church and find a meal, that makes all the difference. And so I just want to thank God today. I want to thank him for what he's doing for us through the church. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake in Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and tore the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and hasn't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat, in the other boat, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full and followed him. God bless the reading of his word. God can use normal people in ordinary circumstances for the extension of his kingdom. In the story we just read in the Bible, we see two fishermen, just normal fishermen. Actually, it was more than two fishermen. I, I either mentioned three fishermen. They were normal fishermen. They, had, they were just going about their daily tasks. They've been tired. They were fishing all night. They caught nothing. They are a bit frustrated. They are a bit unhappy. Now they're at the shore washing their nets, and here Jesus comes along and starts to teach a big crowd of people. And then Jesus says to Peter, borrow me a boat so I can just get away from the crowd so I can teach better. And Peter allows Jesus to use his boat, and Jesus begins to teach from the boat. After a while, Jesus says to Peter, go into deeper water. And Peter is thinking, what is going on now? I'm busy washing my fish. This man first, he might, okay, this is what I would have thought. Anyway, this man first came and took my boat and now he's send, sending me out into the water. And then Jesus said, let down your nets to, for a catch. And again, I think Peter must have been confused. Peter must have been thinking, we've been fishing all night. And he said this, we've been fishing all night and we caught nothing. But he said, well, since you are saying so, I'm going to do it. And he did it. And there was such a big catch of fish that they couldn't handle it with their one little boat. They had to use the boats from other people to help them to carry it. And then Jesus said to them, from now on, you're no longer going to be fishers of fish. You're going to be fishers of people. You're going to catch humans. I don't know if Peter understood that, I would have been a bit confused. And in my life, in my journey with God, God told me many things that confused me. But God always reveals it in time. He always reveals what he wants to tell us in time. As I was looking at the scripture and praying over it, the first thing that really comes to my mind is that God asked something precious from Peter. This boat was Peter's livelihood. This was helping to eat, to take care of his family. It was really important for Peter. It was not just his livelihood, it was his identity. Peter was a fisherman. And then Jesus comes and asks this something precious of Peter. Can I have your boat? And I think that is what God asks all of us. We come to the altar, we've been through revival, we received the Holy Spirit, God spoke marvelously to His preachers, we have confessed our sins, the Holy Spirit came and He cleansed our hearts and He filled us to the uttermost part. And now God is saying to us, I want that precious thing. That precious person. That precious situation. I want that thing from you. And many times we feel like God... This thing is too precious to me. I can't let go of this thing. Anything else, Lord, you know, you know you can have my car, you can have my house, but you can't have this thing. This thing is too precious to me. But if we want to be used of Jesus, we have to release everything. Even the thing that's precious and dear to us. In my recent my current life, the precious thing that Jesus asks me to give up is Africa. I'm a proud African, and I love everything about Africa. I love the music. I love the colors. I love the dancing. I even love the smells of Africa. It can be a bit funky sometimes, but I love everything. (laughs) I love everything about Africa, and God has given me such a burden for Africa. Since I was a little girl, because of the circumstances, I always had a burden, and I always uh, lived my life to try and make a difference, and I was convinced that God wanted to use me to do something marvellous in Africa. And when people started talking about, you know your husband might be elected as general superintendent, I said, never. (laughs) Mm, mm -mm. Don't even go there, you know. I will not go and live in America. I'm not leaving my continent. I'm not leaving my country. I'm not leaving my people. I love Africa too much. And I think Philemon told the story. Emmanuel said to us, did you pray about it? And I said, no, we're not praying about this. <laughs> no, no, no we're, not, we're not praying about this. Um, we're not going to America. And many people will testify, Denise Anderson was talking this morning, that I said to her, uh-uh. I can visit America, but I need to know I'm going home. And in our prayer times, God said, can I have that precious thing? I know that it is dear to you. But will you go? Will you do? Will you serve? Will you give up your everything for me? Because you see, revival is about emptying yourself. Being like Christ is about saying, as Jesus Christ died and he hung on the cross, he gave up everything. The Bible says he didn't see equality with God, something that needed to be grasped. He gave up heaven for us. He laid aside his divinity for a time being for us. And if we follow in the footstep of Jesus, we must hold nothing back. Not our children, not our husbands. I think for mothers, children are the, the most difficult thing to let go. But if we are going to be used in the story of God, if we are going to be used... In our ordinary life, wherever we find ourselves, we have to know that everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we even dream of being or achieving, everything must be surrendered to Christ. And that is how he will will uh, use us for his kingdom. When we look at the story, what made it easy? Yeah. Not easy, no. Easy, uh, easy is not the word. For me, moving to America, I'm going to say easy is not the word there. Eh? But what made it possible <laughs> to give up the precious thing is knowing who is it that's asking. Who is it that's asking you to give up that precious thing? In the book of Luke, right from the start, Luke is intent on conveying the identity of this Jesus. The other gospels try to put Jesus, like Matthew says, he's the son of David. So he's the son of a king, he's the Messiah. But Luke goes further in the genealogy. Luke says, the son of Adam, the son of God. So right from the start, Luke is trying to say, this is God himself. God is faithful. God promised that he's going to come back. And he did. He came back to his people. He's the Messiah. And all the stories, you know, in the other Gospels, Jesus calls the disciples and do then do miracles. But in Luke, Luke puts the miracles before. Jesus heals Simon's mother. Jesus demands and commands that demons leave people. Jesus makes a lot of fish overflow out of a boat. And in all of this, Luke is trying to say, Hey, pay attention. Look who is here. Look who is calling, and then he uses John the Baptist to even confirm it. John the Baptist says, "See the Lamb of God; it takes away the sins of the world." And even in the um, baptism of Jesus, God Himself testified that this is God. I I think I can give my precious thing to God, because He loves me, and He loves my people, and He loves my continent. And he loves the world, so it's going to be okay. Jesus Christ is the Son of the Most High God. He has everything. The Bible says the earth and everything belongs to him. He's all-powerful. He's all-mighty. There's nothing that is too hard or too difficult for him. So when he says, can I have it? I know it's going to be okay because the Lord of all creation is in charge. Peter Jesus asked something else that's very difficult for my personality. And I don't know. I think Peter had the same issue. The need for control. You know, I I need to know what's going to happen. And I need to make sure that I'm in charge so that it goes well. Otherwise, you know, you just don't know. And now here is Peter. He's an accomplished fisherman. He's been fishing all night. He knows how to do it. This is his boat. He's the captain of this boat. And Jesus just comes onto his boat, and Jesus wants to take over. You know? Jesus is saying, let's go back out, Jesus. We've been out all along. We know what we are doing. But okay, if you say so, we'll do it. I think control is a very big, big issue for us as Christians. We want to be in control. We come to the altar and we sacrifice everything. We lay ourselves, we prostrate ourselves on the altar. But when the service is over and the benediction has been said, what do we do? We go back to the altar and we pick it up and then we leave it because we don't want to be out of control. If we want Jesus to use our ordinary lives, our ordinary giftings, our weaknesses, and our sins for his kingdom, we are going to have to give control over him, over to Jesus. Jesus can use anything. What is it as the song that they were singing of Moses having a stick in his hand? What is in your hand today? And what is it that Jesus is asking of you? To surrender to him for the extension of his kingdom. It doesn't have to be something good. It can be something irritating. I'm a talker. I think I came out of my mother's womb talking. (laughs) And it's been a cross for me to bear, really. Um, The nickname they gave me in my family was Obek. That's Afrikaans for old mouth. Because I would talk, that that would denote the volume, how much I talked. But it also talked about the stuff that I talk. I would talk anything and everything. And I would talk stuff that was like, whoo, a person of this age saying this. You know, people were shocked at all the stuff that I would say. And it was a burden to me. It got me into trouble. I can't tell you how many times I got spankings. For stuff that I said that I wasn't supposed to say. One time my mother was even, someone was taking her to court because of something that I have said. Some information that I have said. And so I prayed for God. I prayed and I said, Jesus, I can't bear this thing of talking too much. It's really a burden on my life. I need you to take it away. Please, I want to be a quiet person. And I want to think before I speak, you know. And Jesus never took it away, and I suffered. And even, <laughs> even these days, at this old age, I still suffer for stuff I say. And um, it was only when I was about 19 years old and I was a Youth for Christ. We were the audiovisual team with Youth for Christ. So we would go into a school with equipment, audio-visuals, videos, and we would present to young people the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know how it works with gremlins? Where there's technology, they will come and, and mess everything up. And then we would find ourselves facing a group of children with nothing to share. And I would get up and start talking. I would tell stories, I would share scripture, and I would just talk and talk. And my teammates were amazed. My teammates said, Do you prepare sermons behind our backs or what? And I no, it just I I talk. And that's when I began to realize that Jesus can use anything. He can sanctify anything for use in his kingdom. My story is not a pleasant story. You know, I wish I would forget it. And so many times when I speak, God says, I want you to share your story. Preaching here in this district assembly is one one of the occasions. And I said, God, can't I just, you know, I I went to Bible school. I can give a very ordered, organized sermon. I need you to share your story. God can use our stories. He can use our weaknesses. He can use our failures. He can use our precious things, our precious people. He can use everything when we place it in his hands. One of the problems why we can't always give ourselves to the service of God because we feel unworthy. You look at people and you think that person is good to serve God and that person. But I, you know, I have a past. I have stuff that I won't even speak about. And Peter, when he got into the presence of the Holy Christ, the first thing he realized was, I am sinful. And you know, that is okay. It's the people who don't have any sins that we have to worry about. The people who are always holy, who always say the right thing. Those are the people that I'm always wondering, you know, like, you know, is this person totally honest? Because there's no one perfect. The Bible says we have all sinned and we all fell short of the glory of God. God will use anyone. God started using me at the age of 10 years old. He will use anyone in any situation from wherever you come if you make a full surrender to Jesus Christ and allow him to cleanse you and to purify you. And knowing your weaknesses, knowing where you come from is a benefit. Because as you see me here, I am the general superintendent's wife. (laughs) I am. But I'm just a vessel of clay. I'm a crackpot. I'm the child of edicts. I'm a child of poverty. I'm a a vessel through which the light of God may shine. It's not me. It's Christ in me that's the hope of glory. Paul says in the sermon we talked about yesterday, we are his ambassadors. Christ is making his appeal through us. And you know what? If I'm just an ambassador, if I am just the thing he's going to use to make his appeal, then I'm okay with it. I can handle that because all the pressure is on him. It doesn't matter where I come from or what I've seen. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's why his light shines and all those cracks and weaknesses and failures is just cracks through which his light can shine. Fear is a big issue. And it's interesting, in so many of the occasions when God calls people, he says, do not fear. And I looked at the word, the Greek word, and it basically means the urge to run away. And I can't tell you how many times I've had that urge. I was at the airport coming here, and I had the urge to run away. You know, it's just, no, God, this is too big. This is too huge. You can't be, you, you can't, you can't be serious. I'm out of here. The urge to run away, but you know what? If the vision is too small, then it's probably something you can do on your own, and it's not really what God is calling you to do. It, it might be, but but if it's big and if it's scary and if you feel the need to run away, it's normal. It's okay. But Jesus says, "Don't fear, because I am with you. Be strong. Be courageous." Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It might be to minister to elderly people. It might be to minister to young people. It might just be to cook. My aunts have such a wonderful testimony. As I say, they all had alcohol alcohol problems. My mother was basically the only one that escaped total uh, alcoholism. But God came and saved my aunts so amazingly. They were drunk every day of their lives. But Jesus came and turned their lives around. And they sort of like, we have nothing to offer Jesus. You know, we, we come from nothing and we have nothing to offer Jesus. But we started a ministry to underprivileged children in the informal settlement of Slovo Park in Johannesburg, South Africa. And these aunts of mine with my mother, because I'm not very domestic, you know, I can teach the word, but I'm going to need a crowd to make everything work well. And so I brought my mom and the sisters in, and they just cooked. And they were just mothers. They would cook the food, they would shout the children, they would clean up after the children. And when I left Eldorado Park, my mom and my aunts are still there, cooking the food, cleaning up after the children, cleaning the church. It's It's little. But it's a lot when we place it in the master's hand. And in that ministry that we did with the kids in the informal, we, would, we started with the children and we took them all the way to prom. And we would get the money because we didn't have sponsorship amongst ourselves. We would help with prom dresses. We would help with medicine. And these simple ladies would contribute from their very, very little to make sure that these kids do well. Little becomes much when we put it in the hands of the Lord. I guess I don't have to tell all those good Nazarenes, the end of the story of Peter's life. Oh, he was hung upside down according to church tradition. Okay, now, okay, there's not a part I want to focus on. Otherwise, you'll get discouraged. But God used Peter mightily. The Holy Spirit infused him And he was the one that preached on the day of Pentecost and thousands came to Christ. And he was the one that said, you know what? I think the Holy Spirit is upon this Gentiles as well. We have no reason to exclude them." And God used him in a wonderful way for the extension of his kingdom. God can and will use anything if you put it in his hand today. I want to encourage you to surrender everything to God. You know, in terms of my speaking, I still mess up quite a bit. And every time I speak, every time I get up, I torture myself because I think, Jesus, did I say the right thing? Did I offend people? Did I divulge too much information? Because it's still not a perfect gift. But my imperfect gift, infused by the power of the Holy Spirit, can touch and change people's lives. May God bless you today. Amen.